0: are here. Thanks for uh, uh, making it out today, and uh, it's an interesting week for me because we had to cancel last week, as, as many of you probably figured out or checked your email or just didn't care, didn't come. Either, it doesn't matter. However that worked, that was great. Um, so this week, <clears throat> it's kind of like this idea of we're offering child care and place for your kids to run around, and there's been no school this week. So for an hour, it really might not matter what I say. And because that's being offered, but then also some of you are like, well, you've had two weeks to prepare, so this better be really freaking good. <laughs> so I'm like on this like opposite extreme thing. So I cannot, um, I don't know how this, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work out, but I, I'm, I'm excited uh, to be here and uh, finishing off our prepared series. If you're a guest with us, um, thanks for checking us out on, on a weird like comeback from all this stuff, you know, going on, but uh, we're glad that you made it. We are on part three of a series called Prepared. So if you miss the first two weeks, you can go to our website slash talks All of our talks are there. But the idea behind the series prepared has been simply this: um, I think that in life, uh, and especially when it comes to faith, because this is and this is like a you know faith center type thing, right? This is what we talk about here: is religion and, and, and spirituality and all that kind of stuff. Um, it is smart to have a little one-liners in your back pocket that are not a gotcha kind of thing. Um, but reveal that you have thought about it and and have some sort of an answer, like a quick answer that makes sense, that might be a little bit witty, it might be a little bit something, and and it just, it shows that like you're not caught off guard because we've all been around scenarios in life where... Somebody at work, or somebody at family, or whatever, at some sort of family event, finds out that you're a Christian, and they do the whole. Oh, so you're like a, one of those Christian people, right? And you're not. You're never sure how to respond, and then it's like, you believe like the whole Bible, or like parts of what? Like which parts do you like, and which parts do you not like, or what? what how do you dress, or what do you? Uh, what are you allowed to do and not do, right? And You're just like, oh, I don't. I don't want to go into it. If like I had like. If you had like 15 minutes, I could tell you about some stuff. But obviously, that's not what you want from me. You want some sort of a quick answer, and I don't know. I don't. Have, and so I babble on, and then I and then I say stuff I don't really believe, and then I'm, I'm like, ah, I haven't thought through this very well. And so I I want to give you. Uh, the, the point of the series, I want to give you some some rote answers. Not that you have to use mine, but like just, I just want you to think through some of this stuff, so that when people do come by and, and do those quick. So you're like the uh, you don't do like the Sunday thing. Like you can't like watch football. You're you're doing the whole church thing, right? You've got some answers to be like. This is kind of I've thought through this. I've done this, and I, I said that I uh, the idea for this series sprung out of this, my, a friend that I have whose name is Jeremy, um, who seems to have all of these different one-liners for just life in general. And the longer you're around him. The more you hear them, and so they become like, oh, you. this is something you say. But in the moment, it, the delivery's so quick, and it's so good, you think, okay, you're just like, that's hilarious that you would do something like that. Uh, and so each week, I've given some, some different ones. And uh, so this week, uh, my favorite one, considering this is like college basketball season, uh, and him and I are both huge Gonzaga fans, Um it, He always brings up the fact, and this is not with me because I've heard the joke too many times, but if he was here today, he would, and he was talking and and doing this and made any sort of reference to college basketball, he would insert something like this. I know it might surprise some of you, but I have four years of eligibility still in college basketball um, because he never played college basketball because he's not very good, Um, but he wants to always talk about how he's still eligible to be able to play and that how him and LeBron. Uh, combined average 46 points last night, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, he he's, thinks through these things, you know, like, dude, funny, witty, smart, like, I want some of that, but I want it to be for faith stuff, okay? So that's that's been the idea behind the series. Um, so in week one, we talked about the whole just idea of Christianity in general. When people say, so you're like the Christian thing, like, what does that mean? Like, well, you know, whatever. And we said, a, a real standard response is as soon as possible, point it towards this idea of Jesus and be like, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know um, uh, the, 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 the difference between this and that and all of the, all of the, how, how the Bible was formed and who got to select it and all the weird abuses of power. And I did, I don't have a response to your bad church experience because they're quick to always bring those things up or point out all these pastors who, ran off with the secretaries or the money or the whatevers. Listen, I don't know about all that. Here's what I do know. I do know that I, I really do believe that Jesus died for my sin. And we can talk about how the atonement theories work out. And I don't want to get messed up in that, but I think he died because for my sin, like I, I, I needed it. Uh, and then I do believe that he rose again. And, and, and then we said, um, I don't believe it because the Bible says so. It's like so much better than that. And in week two, we said the reason it's better than that is because we can't just write off the Bible as a book. It's a collection of all of these different takes on it. How do you explain how Matthew would write about it, and Mark would write about it, and Luke, and John, all this? So anyways, that has led us to the point today. Today, I want to talk about this idea of pain and suffering, because this is by far the most emotive response um, that people have towards. So you're like a Christian thing, right? You like to do that whole thing. And so like, what about like I don't know, Auschwitz. What about like all this evil in the world? What about this stuff that I read about? Like how could a good God, right? How could a good God allow such bad blah, 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 blah? And, and they're not really asking you to go into, a, it's called a theodicy, or, or an explanation of how um, the, the uh, omnipotence of God could be able to overcome all of the, the bad stuff in the world. Because not, As you know, like, soon as I said theodicy and omnipotence, you're like, oh, I'm tired. This is crazy. Um <laughs> Exactly, and you're, and most of you are like, I'm Christian, I'm convinced, right? So for you to jump into that and be like, well, I have an apologetics thing, and let me pull out this sheet and I'll be able to walk us through it. Have you listened to this podcast? It's only 45 minutes long, and there's seven episodes, right? I'm just falling asleep on all that kind of stuff. So what do you, what what do you mean? How do you deal with the emotive, the, the most emotional pushback to Christianity? Because by by far the other ones are kind of more fun, and this one becomes like um, they're a little bit more invested into this one, because because they've probably experienced some suffering at some point and experienced some sort of pain. And so this is, this is like personal experience stuff, even though it's unresolved and it's undealt with, and it's, and it's like, I still have questions about this. And by the way, like just humanity in general doesn't have a great answer for this question. And so therefore it's felt and Christianity or religion presupposes some sort of an addressing of this issue. And so they're kind of interested in it, but they're like, so I mean, how how, do you, how have you convinced yourself in this whole God exists and religion is good and you know it's worth spending my time and it's worth spending my money and it's worth all of these things? How, how have you gotten there in spite of either ambiguous suffering in the world or actual personal suffering that I've been going through because cheating in a relationship or brokenness and this or healing or accidents or blah blah blah? Right. All right. Now. I do want to talk about this uh, because I think this is important. If you're currently going through something difficult that is causing you to question your faith, then today's talk isn't really for you, okay? If you're currently experiencing this and there is something, there is a depth of pain and you had to pull yourself together to get here this morning, or tonight it's going to be you and ben and jerry's and and it's going to be it's and I, I I don't mean to make light of it like it's a serious like I'm really going through something that's significant struggle there's this is not this is not a topic this is <laughs> this is life this is Sunday night for me, okay if that's you um, then this don't please don't walk away being like, "That was Brent your attempt at resolving this for me because that did nothing for me. That's not the point of this. And by the way, if you have a friend also who is going through something acute, like and what I mean not, uh, by that is in the moment, like this is what they're going through, please do not send them a link to this podcast and be like, "This will solve all your problems and call me afterwards or something like that. We'll go out for drinks and talk about it, okay that's not what this is for either. So if you're listening to this podcast and somebody did this to you, I'm sorry, that that wasn't the, the point of it as well. Here's who it's for. The point of this address about pain and suffering is for people who have created a defense mechanism because of two different types of pain and suffering, distant but unresolved, meaning there has been some some genuine, authentic pain and suffering that I've gone through. it has been it's a, it's a divorce. It's the loss of a child. It's a sickness. It's an accident. It's something. But it's in the pretty distant past. I don't dwell. It doesn't consume me. And in those moments, like from that point on forward for I don't know how many months or days or years or whatever, it consumed me. Now I'm out of it. It's distant, but it's unresolved. Every once in a while, something will spark it. I'll see something, I'll drive somewhere, I'll watch something, somebody will say something, and all of a sudden, like, the feelings come pouring back in. And that's distant and unresolved, okay? That could be, and so then we create a defense mechanism for faith, because we haven't resolved it, and so we're like, well, what do what you, so what's this whole faith thing about when it comes to pain and suffering? Or, so that's the first one, or undeniable but ambiguous. So it's either distant but unresolved, or undeniable but ambiguous, meaning they speak in generalities. Um, they talk about pain and suffering in the world. And when you were, if if I was to um, like have a follow up question on that, be like, well, what specifically? And they would say, well, I I don't know, just like. You know, stuff, you know, like uh, like like the Holocaust or like all of the, 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 the treatment of this or that and the other thing, or all the, the, the minorities and the the, the the social justice issues, and did you hear about Haiti right now? And did you hear about, did you hear about, did you hear about which is those are all real, those are all real things, but it's it feels like it's um like a third party sort of thing. It's it's um it's undeniable. But it's sort of ambiguous. When you try, when you try and stick your thumb on it, it's kind of like a slime that just kind of like goes everywhere else. And like, well, they'd be like, well, not like exactly that, but like things like that. All right. So what you've done now is you've created a defense mechanism. You don't want to believe in. You don't have an association with faith. Um, and so what you've done is you you've you've. Um, Gone back into this anytime I'm I'm challenged with something like this, or anytime somebody has you know comes up and says, oh, "Well, I'm kind of a faith person. I, I I believe in that." You'd be able to pull out this little card of pain and suffering and be like, "Well, yeah, but how do you explain all of the?" Right, that's what I'm talking about. All right, that's one. That's their favorite way to shut down an argument on the existence of God or belittle the belief systems of those who do believe in the sovereignty of. God. And they're not doing this from personal experience necessarily, unless it's been distant, but for the most part, it's just like, well, like this ambiguous thing. All right, so here's my big idea. I'm going to give it to you up front, and then we're going to dive into a couple of verses, because uh, I think the Bible does speak to this idea, um, and this is not a new issue. All right, so the big idea for today is the existence of pain in the world isn't a good enough reason to stiff arm the idea of God. My goal, or what I would say to you if, if this was, if we were sitting across the coffee table from each other or whatever, uh, and and you had, you had brought to me distant but unresolved or undeniable but ambiguous statements of pain and suffering in the world is the reason why you can't connect with God. I would say the existence of pain in the world isn't a good enough reason to stiff arm the idea of God. And here's uh, why. So uh, here's some one-liners. Here's some I've thought about it and I'm willing to talk about it further if there's genuine interest. Here's the the one-liner I want you to have. So this is not a full argument. This is I want, I, this is, again, I'm trying to help you be prepared, because first Peter talks about be prepared to have a defense, uh, for and be able to explain why you have the hope that you have uh, in, in the faith that you have. So um, I'm going to give you a simple answer, and then I'm going to give you a more interesting answer, okay? So when people come to you with distant, uh, ambiguous, this is your simple answer. This is the one, should be easy to kind of roll off of and then kind of leave it at that. The simple answer is this. Well, that's interesting. Have you ever read anything on that topic? If somebody comes to you with unresolved um, pain and suffering or ambiguous pain and suffering, you say something like this. Wow, that's really interesting. Or that sounds, um, that sounds painful. Or, um, you know try and express some sort of emotion with it, but then lead, this, lead to this area. Have you ever read anything on this topic? It's kind of like uh, hitting the ball back in their court a little bit. It puts them in a position to be like, now that, that sounds like something worthy of your attention. Have you ever given it any sort of attention? And I'm not saying that reading is better than any documentaries or any other pathway of learning. I totally get it. Insert whatever you want. Have you ever watched a documentary on that? If you're way into those, that's fine. Have you ever read anything on that topic? And the reason it's a simple answer is because it communicates that you are not the first person who has ever struggled with this. A lot of times we think um, in this in scenarios like this, like we're kind of I'm kind of unique, and I'm I'm personally struggling with this. And I've read a few things, and I've read a couple of Reddit posts or blog posts on this. Really, have you read anything on it? Can you can we talk about maybe something that you've dove into in this way? And here's why this is important: every generation ever has had its authors who have addressed this issue. And the reason that every generation has had these authors is because it's been an unresolved and uh, uh, unfulfilled response to this. Humanity, since its inception, has constantly questioned why we experience pain and suffering. To think that you, in 2019, with air conditioning and, more importantly, heat, except for not in this room today, but that's okay, that you... uh, Have the uh, you have the the I don't want to say Trump card. What's the right word there? I gotta think. I got a different analogy here. You have the free pass to talk about. You're more informed. That's probably better. You're more informed than anybody in previous generations on pain and suffering. It's slightly ridiculous, right? So we approach it and we think nobody's thought of this before. Or or sometimes when we say this, and it's it's good to get out in front in the open right away. Listen. Every generation has fought through these things. And listen, when you read classical Christian authors, what you'll find is they write about these things as well. Some of, if I listed off some names for you of people who have gone through something significant and they write and they write about their doubts, St. Augustine, C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton, all of these guys, they speak so deftly about this exact thing. And the reason is, it is a constant struggle. So pointing it right away to, it's not surprising that you struggle with this. Men and women throughout history have struggled with this, and really, really smart people with lots of letters after their names and more books than you'll, (laughs) they've written more books than you'll ever read, have struggled with some of this stuff. Now, I want to give you um Uh, If you're taking notes or listening to this online or whatever, um, and and you're going through this, I want to give you uh, the names of a couple of books that are great, super insightful stuff. Not that you even have to go there. I'm not even saying ask this question, and when they say no, you'd be like, well, here's my list that Brent gave me at church the other day. But I want to provide this in case you are listening to this. Uh, and and in, in a more some of my favorite this generational sort of addressing of this issue of pain and suffering. Um, number one is a guy named uh, Gerald Sitzer, who actually is a teacher at Whitworth up in Spokane. He wrote a book called *The Grace Disguised*. He lost his wife. Um, and to, I believe it was a brain cancer, some sort of a cancer thing and dealing with the uh, problems with that. Fantastic book, A Grace Disguised. Next book, A Grief Observed, which is C.S. Lewis, who also lost his uh, wife um, and goes through some of that. He wrote another book called The Problem of Pain, which is a lot more theological in that way, but um, but it, like for, in the emotional piece of it, A Grief Observed. And then if you've ever lost a child, the loss of a child, um, a lament for a son by Nicholas Walterstorf. I'm going to put these all in the weekly this week, so you'll be able to see these. Um, so if somebody, ans- if so- if you p- say this question, have you ever like read anything about this? And they go, no. Do you have any recommendations? Here you go. Then pull this email out, or pull your note sheet out, or whatever, and be like, I haven't read these personally, but my pastor says it, and and um, he's, uh, uh, I don't even- I wouldn't even say relatively smart. I would say um, uh, he talks on Sundays and and seems to know can carry a conversation for about a half hour in length. So you should listen to what he says. All right, simple answer, done. Simple answer, real quick, is simply, well, wow, that's interesting. Have you read anything on this? All right, number two, a more interesting answer that I think really, if, you, if you're like a poker and a prodder, listen, if you wanna avoid conflict, then stay with the simple answer, okay? That's, that's the easy one to be like, oh, I'm invested, but not overly invested. Like, I don't wanna take up all of our time together because um, I don't think this is like a personal thing that you're going through. I think this is just a defense mechanism. So if you are a, uh, no, I really want to like, I I really want to kind of dive into this further. Uh, The the more complicated, maybe complicated is a better one. Anyways, if you could, here here it is, ready? If you could, would you remove everything bad from the world right now? You go into one of these, what's called imaginary scenarios, right? Where it's like, um, uh, there's like an imaginary button. And uh, if you could push the button and everything, and something would change, we, would you do it, right? So these are like the fun games. So in this scenario, everything bad in the world goes away. Because the issue that you have is that you cannot reconcile bad things in the world with a God who is good and all-powerful and all that kind of stuff. So if you were God and you were in his position, right, scary position, would you, and there was a button that existed to push and everything bad goes away immediately and all of the good things in the world continue, would you push that button? Now, before you push that button, one quick like side, a side that you probably need to address is answering the question, have you ever done anything bad and not good? All of the things that you say, oh, this is so bad that this exists in the world, and there's pain and suffering because of poor choices, because of this, and, and natural disasters too, sure, but a lot, of, a lot of the things in life come because of people who are, do anything for desperation for power or whatever, right? Then the question becomes, have you ever done anything bad? If by pushing that button, that would affect something in your life, like all of a sudden would I not exist because I now I'm, now as soon as I have that option, I'm thinking, that's a no brainer. I'm going to push this button. Everything bad goes away. But then I think back on my life and I've done some pretty dumb things. Um, and so therefore, like what happens? So you're like, right as you go to push, you go, hold up. Like what about, uh, so what happens to me? Because like I'm a generally a good person. Like I don't know where the line is in the sand, but I'm definitely on the good side of it. Um, but no excuses. There have been some poor choices, and most of it was because of my friends Um, and the fact that I went to Wazoo and all of the things. So before before I push this, what's all involved in all of this? So if you have a good reason not to do away with everything bad, is it possible that God has a reason too. If there is any sort of hesitation for, I don't want everything bad to go away. I just, I can't reconcile. See, it's complicated. All, all this thing, all this does is you, it's presented as if, if God is all powerful, all knowing, this feels like a simple answer. Why would a God like that not do something about this? And the response shows you, ah, it's a little more complicated than that. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we would say maybe God has a reason to hesitate, to pause, to not do that quite yet. And perhaps you and I are that reason. In fact, Peter, Peter writes a letter to a group of churches, right? We read from 1 Peter, that's the First Peter chapter 3 really launched this series. But in this one, he provides sort of an answer for why at least early Christians, not that you have to believe this or whatever, but early Christians believed As they looked around their world and tried to make sense of the suffering that this church, because 1 Peter and 2 Peter, by the way, were all about suffering. The early church in its early day experienced massive amounts of suffering, suffering that we really have no idea about. So it made sense for them to be like, what do we do with this? How do we make sense of suffering? Peter writes this in chapter 3, verse 9 of 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as someone understands slowness. Instead... He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I thought God was all-powerful and could fix all of these things and could keep us safe and do all of the things. Yeah, he can. So our way of making sense as to why he hasn't is because he seems to be patient in keeping his promise. This sort of like lets him off the hook a little bit, but still holds him accountable. He could do it. He's not choosing not to do it because he wants people to repent, which is basically to turn around and make themselves right again. And every one of us could point to a season of our life where we would say, I'm so glad that was true for me too. I'm so glad that my girlfriend or that eventually became my wife or my my boyfriend that eventually became my husband stuck with me even though I made some really bad decisions and allowed me to come to repentance And now we've been happily married. Or I'm so glad that my parents didn't kick me out of the house the first time I yelled at them or the first time I did this. They had patience with me in this way. So is it possible, once again, that if you have a reason to hesitate pushing the button, God has a reason to hesitate, and perhaps I'm the reason. Perhaps it's me. Perhaps it's you. Perhaps it's more complicated than we make it. And let's be honest. There's a certain level of hypocrisy involved in our doubts, our defense mechanism. I'm saying, like, a good God in a bad world, how could that possibly be? Um, and the, the hypocrisy involved is this, that when you have a problem, I pray for you, right? When I hear about your problems, I say, oh, that sounds horrible. I'll be praying for you, texting. I'll be praying for you, right? And I'm not saying that as your pastor. Like, I really I really do. But you <laughs> with your friends, right? I'm saying you and your friends. They, they come to you, and they're like, oh, this is like super bad. And you're like, you, you want to you want to be there. I'm like, I'll, I want to talk about it and help them through this. And I'm not trying to be advice giver. I'm not Oprah or anything like that. I'm not Dr. Phil. I just, I want to be a listening ear. And then my default response is simply, I'll pray for you. So when it's your problem, when you have a problem, I pray for you. When I have a problem, I doubt God, <laughs> right? That's how we do it. Um, that's, the, that's the hypocrisy involved in it. You have a problem, pray, pray for you. Mm. We invoke faith. And then when it's I'm going through something... I doubt God. Like, where are you in this, right? It's hilarious, the hypocrisy involved in this. So here's <clears throat> two takeaways that I think help reinforce this or help you think through this in case you come up with this complicated answer and the conversation keeps going, all right? And uh, two ideas, and then we'll we'll close and we have communion today. All right. I want to talk about something I feel is true, um, And and something that we oftentimes feel is true. When it comes to the existence of evil in the world, we feel like, number one, certain things ought not to be, right? So when somebody says to you, their defense mechanism is pain in the world, can't make sense of pain and suffering, and they want to continue the conversation, you give the interesting answer, and they say, that's interesting, let's talk about this more. Why do you feel Like certain things in this world ought not to be. Where did that ought not feeling come from? Am I making this up? What sort of a basis am I I coming from? What sort of a source is that coming from? If so, can I even impose this on others? If this is my own feeling of what I feel ought not to be, where did that come from? C.S. Lewis writes about this in Mere Christianity, uh, and one of my favorite books ever, and he, he calls this his argument for a moral lawgiver. I'm just going to read this quote. It's going to be on the screen as well. Supposing you hear a cry for help from a man in danger, you will probably feel two different desires. One, a desire to give help due to your herd instinct, right? You, uh, well, let's, let's do this. You saw somebody stuck in the snow this week with their car, and immediately you go, I should get out and pop out and help them. The other desire to be like, ooh, it's freezing outside. What if I get stuck in the process? What if as I'm pushing and he's spinning his tires, all of a sudden they catch and I'm toast, right? Or and I'm falling, you know, whatever. The other, a desire to keep out of danger. So in one sense, there's like this one thing saying, I should do something about this. The other one's going, yeah, but it's kind of their problem. They're an idiot for taking their Honda, you know, a Toyota Prius out in the snow. What are they thinking? Two-wheel drive? Come on. Due to the instinct of self-preservation. I need to help. I shouldn't get involved. So, He continues on, but you will find inside you, in addition to these two impulses, a third thing which tells you you ought to follow the impulse to help and suppress the impulse to run away. I should do something, but what about? In spite of both of those things, I really ought to do something. I'm going to do it knowledgeable of the danger and knowledgeable of my herd instinct to be able to step in and do something. Why? Why is that? Why do you think that there's something wrong? When we say, I can't, you know what, I don't know if God can exist. After all, there's so much evil in the world. How do you even know that that's evil? How do you know that that's bad unless there's something in you that has been implanted in you to look at something and say, that's not right. There should be a different way. That's not how this is supposed to work. Now I'm getting—it's morals and it's ethics and it's deep and there's all kinds of yeah. Well, you know, come on, we can have this argument. This is the thing that's been talked about and, and worked through for ages. I I know I get it. I'm just I'm just saying this is an important thing to think through when you're when you're trying to be. I'm trying to be prepared for instances of questions and defense mechanisms about pain and suffering. All right, and then secondly, the second thought is this world isn't as it ought to be. So. Uh, that, that just that first one, this idea of being certain things aren't as they ought to be, then it can become, then it can come into this. It can become a little bit more holistic, or a little bit more full, or a little bit more, yeah, but not like specific instances. This whole thing is kind of broken, isn't it? Christian defense, Christian thought has relied heavily on God has given us a spirit inside of us to know things ought not what they are currently. And not only that, but from a more general standpoint, this world isn't as it ought to be. See, If you're not a Christian, then, then um, first of all, we're so glad that you're here. So let me fill you in on, on kind of what we think about in terms of the world. The current world is not, we feel like, the final version of this thing. Not that it explodes and it goes away and we ascend up into heaven. We feel, I feel, like there, it talks about specifically a redemptive period. The current world is the best path to the best possible world. That someday this whole thing gets renewed and everything that's wrong gets to be made right again. But in order for it to be made right, we experience, we're going, the reason why we have this is because this is the best path to a best possible world. The best possible world is a world where men and women are free to sin, but freely choose not to. Why, do we, why are we going through this? Because sometimes it's nice to know what the options are. If, we, if, if he created this world and then never gave us an option to sin, we'd be like, well, it's kind of like, you know, we don't really know. It's this, we, we, we don't know what the other side could look like. We don't know, we're, we're kind of robots in a sense in this way. But in this, in this environment, in this world, the world is not as it should be. Yes. So let's create a world as it should be and freely choose that, even though we have the option to not do that. The reason that you don't believe in arranged marriage right now is because you, want the, you wanted her, you wanted him to be able to freely choose you. There's something about choice, and there's something about being able to say, "I prefer this over that." And when it comes to this world, this, this is what it, this is what it's happening. So Paul, Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter eight. He begins to talk about this brokenness of the world, and. Uh, and how we emerge from this and, and sort of the suffering and glory is a big piece of it. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, the whole passage is about suffering through, through glory. We're gonna talk about just four verses real quick, but the whole, it, it, for homework, if you wanna dive into this further, then you should check out the rest of it. But let me, let me read verse 18, uh, and we'll start there. I consider our present sufferings. Again, Paul talking to a group of uh, Christians existing in Rome under the, under the thumb of the empire. They're in the capital city, experiencing pain, experiencing suffering for what they believe, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Something, is better, something better is coming, and when that new thing arrives, it will be so good, you'll forget exactly all of this. This will, this will pale in comparison to the grand nature of what we're going to experience. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed the creation waits and he uses a word that includes mankind but it also includes everything ever created and he goes into this a little bit further verse 20 for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its own bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of god here's what he's saying listen the whole the reason that you think the whole world is broken is because it is everything leads to decay Everything left in, in, in and unto itself goes, it's called the law of entropy. It goes, it goes south on you. This is the reason why if you don't do yard work, your yard's gonna be full of weeds, right? That's what happens. And he's like, that's how the world works. And it cries out. There, it was not intentionally created. It, was not, it did not start in this way. It leads to this. And that thing that, you, that, that is inside of you that says it shouldn't be, that's God inside of you going, yes, you're right. Because there's something more. And I know that this isn't a like satisfying answer to pain and suffering. There really isn't a good answer to these things other than the fact that you're even asking this question is good. The fact that you come to me with a defense mechanism, I can't make sense of a world of pain and suffering, you're right. I can't either. Now, Christianity has a statement of it of It's not how it should be. And the fact that you have these feelings is a good thing. That's a good thing. And then that word waiting, we find ourselves waiting. Paul says a creation that is waiting in eager expectation, craning their neck, peeking out the window for the, like every kid this week, waiting, every parent waiting for news from the school district, is there school today or not? And then when that text message came through on Friday and you're like, i Freaking can't believe another, another day? Eager expectation. We've all been there. Karl Barth writes about this, this specific text and about waiting. And I'll close with this. To wait is the most profound truth of our normal everyday life and work. Quite apart from being Christians, every agricultural laborer, every mother, every truly active or truly suffering man knows the necessity of waiting. And we, we use wait as though there were something lying beyond good and evil, joy and sorrow, life and death, as though happiness, in happiness and disappointment, in growth and decay, in the yes and the no of our life and the world, we were expecting something. We must wait. We must wait as though there were a God whom, in victory and in defeat, in life and in death, we must serve with love and devotion. We can then, if we understand ourselves aright, be none other than they who wait. We are they who wait. What are you as Christians? What about pain and suffering? Yeah, the world is broken. We affirm that, we believe that, and we wait. And we wait. We are none other than those who wait. We are satisfied to know no more than the sorrow of the creation and our own sorrow. We ask nothing better or higher than the cross where God is manifested as God. We must, in fact, be servants who wait for the coming of their Lord. Listen, the answer to what do you do with pain and suffering is not everything happens for a reason, guys. God needed a little angel. That's why he took your daughter. Horrible. No. I don't know Why? I trust in a God who has an answer, and I wait. And I wait, because we are those who wait. The end of scripture, the end of your Bible that you own at home or on your phone or whatever, this one right here, the very last verse in this entire thing sums it up for us as a people who wait. Revelation 22, verse 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon, amen, Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. Come, come, Lord Jesus. Why would we say that? Because we're sick and tired of a broken world that doesn't make any sense. And we are those who wait. I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sin, rose from the dead, but not because the Bible tells me so, because it's better than that. And I can't explain exactly why all these things are, bad, are happening, but in the meantime, I pray and you pray. Come, Lord Jesus. What is our defense? What is our one line of defense? Have you read anything about that? I mean, it sounds like something serious. If you could, would you? Because have you thought about this? And by the way, Christianity doesn't offer an answer to make, doesn't wrap it up in a nice little bow and resolve everything for you, make you feel real good about all that crap you're going through. I don't understand it either, but I invite you into a community of people who call themselves the waiting people. <laughs> We're just waiting. We're waiting on a God to come and finally make it sense. And we trust in a God who is fully loved and is thinks on different levels than we could ever think of and, make, and can make all of these things work. And I don't know that I'll ever know on this side of eternity, but I'm a part of a waiting group. I'm a part of a waiting people. And I live my life facing pain and suffering saying, looking at a world that is completely broken and saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Father, our prayer, and I don't know uh, what it is that we're going through, what kind of pain and suffering we've personally experienced if it's distant, unresolved, or if it's like Like today after church, like right now, I'm trying to keep myself together in all of this. Um, I think the answer is still the same. And I I think that uh, it comes down to an issue of trust. Do we trust you are who you say you are? A big God who loves and has plans and um, sees things on a grander scale than I can. And is fully committed to us, is for me, is for us. And yet that doesn't mean that we won't experience things that we don't like and have it our way. So we submit to you, we submit control to you and we affirm our position as a waiting sort of people. And as we receive communion together, this is one more tangible, really, reminder um, that uh, we're participating in this waiting game together. Um, we celebrate through communion the fact that you came and you died for us, and we also anticipate uh, a future wedding feast that is talked about in, in, uh, in all kinds of revelation types of scripture, that in the end, it's a big, giant feast. And so, symbolically, we um, take bread and juice, and uh, we reflect on what your statement of love means to us and our commitment to it moving forward. So give us the wisdom to know what to do with all this material and uh, the courage to move forward and do something about it in your name. Amen.